Welcome to another episode of the Sporting Heroes podcast. My name's Matt Jones and I've got a terrific guest in the studio this afternoon. I've been really, really looking forward to this chat. He's a guy who you may well have seen on your TV screens because he's a comedian and he's been on the likes of uh, 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. Would I lie to you? Have I got news for you? He's done loads of shows up and down the country as well. And I'm really looking forward to this chat. Welcome to the studio, Chris McCausland. Cheers for having us, mate. Well, great to have you in. Uh, first of all, let's uh, find out a little bit about you. Um, a comedian. When did you first get into it? Uh, 2003. So it was um, two, July 2003. And it was it was not a, a planned thing. It was more <laughs> of a, um, a harebrained idea to, to, you know, just have a go at an, at an open mic gig. Uh, one of them bucket list kind of things just to say I'd done it. Um, it was never a career choice at the, at the time, and, um, and and luckily enough, you know, I, I think I got two two sniggers, you know, that to, <laughs> that was enough to make me have a second go, and um, and and I, I just it just became a hobby, really. Um, it takes a while before it becomes something you could even consider to be a job, but. I hated my day job at the time, and so going out and doing these little open mic gigs and meeting crazy people of an evening uh, who were on the kind of, you know, sharing the same love of comedy and all that, it just became um, a little bit of an escape, really. And and then, you know, here we are 17 years, 17 <laughs> years later, and I'm, I'm still on still on the bus, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so why was it a bucket list kind of thing? Because if I think about it, like, I'd be absolutely petrified getting up in front of people and, and hoping they laugh at me. Yeah, and 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 it was one of them things that popped into my head. Uh, I was, I, what happens? I was off work at the time. I, I think it was shingles or something I had, and I was bored at home. And I, I had, I was on the internet, and I came across something that said, um, it was like a, a, a you know, a, a teach yourself comedy thing. You can be a stand-up comedian, and like the first reaction in your head is. Oh, I could never do that because my favourite comedian was like Eddie Izzard, and he had he just had that wow factor, mm. that X factor, you know. Um, so, oh, I could never do that. And then I just kind of thought about it a bit too long, and I was like, you know, I'm sure loads of people must have a go, and loads of people must be really, really rubbish. So I wonder whether I could write five minutes of comedy that was all right, you know, that I thought could be funny. And all I'd have to do is not be the worst person that's ever, ever tried it. So I started off from that 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 low bar, if you know if you know what I mean. And then um, what I did is a little bit of, you know, damage limitation. Everybody's used to comedy. Everybody sees comedy on the TV. Everybody gets the, used to get, the you know, the videos of Christmas and things and you see the big name stars. But what I'd done is I, I went out and watched some really low-level comedy. And I just saw people who, you know, bombed, who were terrible. Some people who were good, but the people who were terrible, the next day I couldn't even remember their name. And that's part of your fear, isn't it? You think, oh, if I have a bad gig, people are going to remember this for 15 years. People are going to be pointing at me in the street. When... <laughs> that's that fella that, um, you know. But um, I realised it's quite safe. You 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 can put yourself through, a, if, if, if it is bad, you put yourself through, you know, five minutes of discomfort and it's all forgotten. So I just gave it a go, really. When did it become a career then? Um, two years in. So I, I, I hammered it for two years doing the open mic circuit. And then, you know, it, during that period, somebody gave me a fiver, you know, for, for expenses for my bus fare early. And, um, and then it, it just started increasing the amount of money I was getting. And it gets to the point where you can't, you can't earn any more money um, while you've got a day job because you're restricted, you know, by where you can travel and your time restrictions when you've got a nine to five so 
yeah, and you can't give up the day job until you're earning enough money from the comedy. <laughs> so you're kind of in this, um, you know, uh, this kind of catch twenty two kind of thing. Is it catch twenty two? Yes. Yeah, catch. 22. <laughs> I just sounded that when it came out my head. Um, and so what I've done is I got, I, got, I kind of got. I didn't have a credit card at the time and I got myself a couple of credit cards lined up and I thought, I'm going to take the plunge and if I need the credit cards just to kind of, you know, tide me over for a couple of months, I've got them here and I, I ditched the job and just took the plunge and and as it happens, never needed the credit cards, just managed to, um, you know, live off beans and toast for a, for a few months while I built the work up and, and it, it all worked out in the end. Um, so since then, you, you've gone on to play numerous uh, venues all over the country all over the world i assume as well and uh, you've also been on some great tv programs as well how how does it differ going on something like have i got news for you or eight out of ten cats compared to what you would do up on stage at the slaughterhouse on a friday night well i mean what i would do on the, you know up on stage at the slaughterhouse i don't get nervous anymore i'm so used to doing live gigs that you, you know i it's all just it's just unconscious reactions to things that happen in the room but I don't get even if it's a rowdy audience I, I kind of relish it in a, in a way um, whereas doing the TV shows they're all new experiences and I would be lying if I said they're going into have I got news for you I, I might have looked calm on the surface but I was petrified inside you know because a lot of um, a lot of these panel shows if you're not funny you kind of just don't make the edit as much as the people who are funny whereas on have I got news for you I thought you could very easily look st- stupid you know if you say the wrong thing or something that Ian Hisler pulls you apart on <laughs> um, I'm not a political comedian either um, it's not natural in me I like I like silliness and nonsense and you know biographical stuff about you know life and and, and family and stuff like that so I have my head in the newspapers for three weeks before and just to get me me, me brain on it a little bit um and and but once you get those laughs in in the studio as well you just relax into it and luckily you know it, enough the guys I was working with like and would I lie to you it's I was sat next to Lee Mack and he was so generous with um you know encouragement and you know letting you get your, your gags in and, and giving you time to talk and and the same with Paul Merton who was sat next to uh, even though in my head for the first 15 minutes of how I got used to you I think I was just inside my head just shouting I'm sat next to Paul Merton I'm sat <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you can see that that look in my face but um, I was a little bit you know stage fright on it but I believe I, I looked quite calm and collected um, on the show but it's that old duck thing isn't it where you you know calm on the surface paddling paddling underneath <laughs> um those TV appearances as well, when they come around... So you've been doing this, as you've said, for 17 years. Yeah, um, coming up to that, yeah. When these kind of appearances come around, or the offers, you must think, what a what a great thing and what a great opportunity to kind of further your profile as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the way I look at it now is... I mean, this is definitely a purple patch I've hit. Um, I'm on a little run. I think when you prove yourself on one, you get another one. And when you prove yourself on that, you get another two op- opportunities. Um, and so I've definitely hit a purple patch and... I mean, the way I'm looking at it here is it's either a real, real boost to my career or a glorious swan song. <laughs> you know, all these shows that you, you know, five years ago were pipe dreams of, you know, will I ever get to play on something like that? And then all of a sudden they're all coming in at once. And um, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm enjoying the, um, I'm enjoying the fear as well. The, um you know, putting yourself outside your comfort zone, having to learn, 
you know, new, new, new skills really, which stand-up's very solitary. You, you might do it with other people on a bill at a club, but when you're up there, you're up there on your own. Um, it, 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 that's the difference, I suppose, with improv. Improv is very like improv comedy is very much a team game with you know lots of years on stage at the same time, and and the. I've got no experience in that in that area really. Whereas panel shows are a lot more like that. It's a team sport, you know. You're all trying to um, give each other opportunities to be funny as well as be funny yourself. Um, so as well as comedy being a huge part of your life, you're also a massive football fan Absolutely. and a big fan of of Liverpool. We will get onto to your sporting hero uh, shortly. But where does your association with the Reds go back to? Um, well, since since I can remember, really, you know, it's just one of them things that you. You're born into, aren't you? <laughs> it's um I mean I'm sure there's um I'm sure there's lo- loads of families out there that are split down the middle, but my family's very much a red family and um and so it was never even a um you know, a decision that was made on my part. I just I just grew up being a Liverpool fan, much in the same way that I, I, I you know, I, I I grew up, you know, eating chips. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> Can you remember your first game? Um, first game I ever went to was, and I can't remember the year, but it was it was against Tottenham. We got beat one nil. Um, An inauspicious start then. It, it was, and then and then the second game I went to was against Chelsea, and I remember we won two nil. Um, and you see, I, I, but what your your audience, um, people at home might might know, I'm, I'm blind now. I used to be able to see when I was younger, but my eyesight was never perfect. So it was um, even when I was when I was younger, it was it was very very bad. So I was never a regular at the football. It was it was uh, more just every so often I'd go along to uh, enjoy the atmosphere. If, if if you know what I mean, it's a lot of money to spend on somebody that can't actually see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you've had well just on on the eyesight then. So you've had deteriorating eyesight for for quite a while. Yes. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm bl- I'd say blind for like at least the last twenty years. Really. Right. So how how do you find following football now then? It's um, I mean I my 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 go to you know way of taking in the football is is the radio. So I the, the commentary on the radio is always so much more descriptive than on the TV. You, you can watch it on the TV and they'll spend five minutes just having a chat and, and or just every so often just mentioning the name of a player who's, who's received a pass where on the radio they make a throw-in sound exciting. <laughs> so I always... I always enjoy going more for, you know, listening to the radio. But but one one thing that that does mean is it it, it kind of removes some of the social aspects of football from, from your your life in that if I do go to, you know, go to the pub to share in watching the football with people, I don't, I can't enjoy the actual game as much. It's got to be a trade-off, you know what I mean? Because mm. even if they have the commentary turned up in the pub and you can hear, well, everyone gets excited on the exciting bits and so you only really hear the boring bits. <laughs> <laughs> It's Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones. Chris McCausland, comedian, is in the studio. And as we're talking about the Reds, let's get on to uh, your sporting hero. Uh, so who was it that you just wanted to be when you were growing up from a footballing sense? Well, do you know what? It's 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 a tricky one because we're blessed with so many heroes as Liverpool fans. And and as a, when you're a kid, you've got so many favourite players. You know, and 1985-86... Was although I've got kind of flash memories of things that happened in '84 in the European Cup final and the Milk Cup final and and things like that. '95, '96 is the one that I I have a lot of memories of. And um, one of the key players in that season was Craig Johnson. And Craig Johnson was, was Australian, 
and it sounds mad, you know, but like to say this now, but like back in 1985-86, that was really exotic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a, in a team full of Irishmen and um, you know, a Welshman and and, and Scots and and Scousers and Englishmen. Um, you know, it wasn't the multicultural international affair that the football is today. Um, Craig Johnson was he was interesting. He was he was a he was a, a a workhorse. He put a lot of effort in. I I think in that season, apart from Bruce, he had the most appearances for Liverpool in in the whole season. You know, and 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 the thing about Craig Johnson for me is he's one of them players that I I really liked when I was a kid, but as you grow older and you kind of go through different um, different ages, you know, different kind of milestones in your own life. And you kind of have different appreciation appreciations for him of what he had to achieve to to be there. You know what I mean? Things you didn't maybe realise when you were when you were nine, when you were ten, when you were twelve. And 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 his life story is is incredible, really. And you know we're, we're all aware of you know people like you know Michael Owen who 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 will say you know quite you know and probably quite correctly in, in some, time, some ways that he was the best player at every age level he played at. Craig Johnson will, will say that he was probably the worst player. <laughs> <laughs> he was the worst player in the best team and he was even when he was growing up he was the third or fourth best player in, in the team, in the youth teams and, and he had to really, really graft at his skill in order to achieve what he had and I've always been a fan of the underdog I always love a player proving me wrong and Liverpool's littered with examples of it from, you know, people like Lucas. When Lucas came to Liverpool and, you know, for about two or three years, it felt like we had the worst Brazilian that had ever played football. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was like a a three-year period towards the end of his career that he was my favourite favourite player. Just be not be. I mean, Steven Gerrard's obviously everybody's favourite player, but just the the player that you you just feel, you know... um, just a, a, a like of the because they've proven you wrong and he was dependable and solid and at the minute it's probably you know Jordan Henderson because he's been written off so many times and and if he doesn't get you know he's he's got to be one of the top two up for PFA Player of the Year this year and I love it I, I love it so much that these players prove people wrong and, and Craig Johnson was probably the first one of them you know from my you know life following football. Um, who was told by Jack Charlton um, when he when he first came over to the country and played for Middlesbrough that he was the worst player he'd ever seen in his life, <laughs> and he just grafted he grafted off the pitch, you know, just in a garage, uh, kicking a ball against the wall, playing blindfolded in this garage, trying to hit targets and and things like that for you know in in his own time and managed to force his way into the team, and then all of a sudden you know was playing for Liverpool after a few years and. And as I say, scored in an FA Cup final in that in that wonderful FA Cup final that you know I've just got so many memories of the whole day, the sun being out, the decorations in the houses, and so you know it, 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 I've just got such fond memories of them. Really, two hundred and seventy-one appearances for Liverpool and forty goals on yeah. top of that FA Cup that you mentioned, five league titles, two League Cups, and a European Cup as well. It's and not a partridge bad. of the pear tree. Yes. <laughs> it's not bad for someone told they were the worst player they've ever been seen by Jack Charlton. Absolutely. And and do you know what else? is? It's just things like that you appreciate as you get older as well is that he retired at 27 and he retired at 27 to look after his sister who, who'd had um, a terrible accident um, and needed round-the-clock care and he, he sacrificed his career for family reasons, you, you know, which shows the, the mark of the man, you know, is is 
priorities and his responsibilities and and then of course he went on to have this 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 incredibly interesting career uh, reinvented himself as an inventor really mm. the predator booth um, you know there's the, the you know the story of him inventing the you know a lot of people probably um, hate him for this but inventing that thing that lets the hotels know when you've taken things out the minibar <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah he's just has an, an incredibly interesting interesting life and and so we, you know he was always one of my my favorite fondest players as a kid and and an exciting um, you know, ex- exciting elements of the Liverpool team, a big part of that season. But as as I say, as you get older, you you, you just you just kind of you peel back the layers of him, you know. And and there's just so much there to um, to admire. Have you met him? Never, no, no, I um, n- never met him at all. You know, he's um, but he's I know that he's um, incredibly attached to um, Liverpool, the city, and Liverpool. The, the team he refused to play for anybody else after he left and and of course um 1989 um the year after he left and when he was back in australia and he you know after hillsborough he he jumped on the first flight and came back over just to be um around the city um support the families and go to funerals and and just be part of the the community you know so um he's he's a man with a big love of the city you know like like a lot of us so um Definitely Craig Johnson. Absolutely. And we need to get him down to one of your shows as well. A brilliant sporting hero to have. It's been fascinating to speak to you as well, Chris. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us and uh, picking Craig Johnston as your sporting hero. Thanks for having us. What a brilliant chat that was. Chris McCausland, comedian, joining me to pick his sporting hero and have a chat about his life and career on the Sporting Heroes podcast with me, Matt Jones, this week. Now, if you've missed any of our previous episodes with the likes of Martin Murray, Ryan Taylor, Kevin Ratcliffe, Jamie Carragher, then you can go back and listen to some of them. They're all available to download as well. Also, if you hit the subscribe button, a brand new one will drop in your box every single week.